Welcome to This Week in Nickelodeon History. I'm your captain, Captain Eric, and on this episode, we're going to celebrate some Nickelodeon anniversaries in between the times of July 24th to July 30th. And by the way, this upcoming episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast, I don't mean to hype it too much, but it may be the biggest episode of not only that show's release, but it may be one of the, the biggest episodes I ever release, bar none. Um, not ever as in my entire life, but up to this point as a podcaster, as a content creator, yeah, yeah, one of my biggest. So I'm extremely proud of of what is to come. So if you consider yourself a member of the Ready Crew, if you're a fan of Captain Eric, well then, by all means, pay attention to any of the releases of this upcoming Wednesday. If, if you're listening to this past the 27th of July, and you've already missed it, then then all this hype is, it, you've already missed the fanfare, but that's no problem, you can just go back and listen to the I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast, episode 125, that'll be the uh, the release for that week, so uh, if you're listening to this after the fact, go back and, and listen, give a listen to that episode on whatever uh, podcast platform you listen to, YouTube, and by the way, if you happen to be listening to this on, a, on one platform, but you prefer another that you don't see either of my podcasts on, send me a message, nickelodeonhistory at gmail.com. Let me know, hey, this is the service. You're, you're not showing up here. If it's something you prefer, I'll make sure that this podcast is available however, wherever. I want to make sure that um, the, the most amount of people that could want to listen to this kind of content have the ability to do so. But uh, speaking of this kind of content, well, what are we covering? We're covering Nickelodeon anniversaries this week, and we're starting out with a show that ended its run on Nickelodeon 18 years ago on July 30th, 2004, Rocket Power. Created by Arlene Klasky and Gabar Chupo, the show ran for four seasons of 71 episodes. Uh, Yet another massive hit out of the uh, Klasky-Chupo animation studio. Of course, if that name doesn't immediately ring a bell, or if you're not a fan of Rocket Power, that animation style at least should give you some notice as to their other works that you may know as the Wild Thornberries, or Ah Real Monsters, or, I don't know, a little Nicktoon known as the Rugrats. Yeah, Klasky Chupo behind pretty much all of those shows, also as told by Ginger, although I think that had uh, extra help within the studio, same with the Wild Thornberries, but... Arlene Klasky, Gabar Chupo, just hitting another home run out of the park with yet another show. All through the 90s, a decent part of Nickelodeon's backbone was structured by Klasky Chupo. I, I mean, the Rugrats on their own was, was the backbone for Nickelodeon throughout the 90s before that baton was passed over to SpongeBob in 99, or I mean relatively in the early 2000s when his popularity just exploded. But here, they not only built Rugrats as a base, but they helped keep that base alive with Our Real Monsters, as told by Ginger, The Wild Thornberries, Rocket Power, all shows that are wildly different to one another in terms of what they're bringing to the table. There's also a sense of similarity between them in, you know, the animation. But for them to just have hit after hit after hit, and all of them not necessarily following the same structure. All of them bringing, like I said, something unique to the table that set them aside from one another. I love that when you see massive shots of the of the golden age of Nicktoons, even though so many of those characters are, are from Klasky Chupo, I don't know, they all don't look, it doesn't like make it seem like half of the of the family portrait is drawn by them. In reality, it is. And it's it's great to see, but... Rocket Power here, in a way, shouldn't work on the basis that 
usually when a company or a studio kind of just jumps on a on something that's rising in popularity, they see that rocket ship and they just want to grab onto that and ride its momentum. It usually doesn't turn out well. And uh, with the rise of extreme sports in the late 90s, it was undeniable on their placement in, in mainstay popular culture. Professional skateboarding, for one, just exploded in popularity, far surpassing BMX. Snowboarding became one of the most popular Winter Olympic sports there is. And if I laid out to you, you know, before knowing rocket power, if I laid out to you the idea of the cartoon, I, I in one way, it, it shouldn't work. But in its execution, it's beautiful. The idea that not only, hey, we're just going to feature every single extreme sport there is, but, you know, all of these kids are going to be, except for for the squid, are going to be pretty exceptional at all of these sports. And Otto, to an extent, that he's a prodigy at literally every single extreme sport there is. There is not a, a, a board he could ride that... Auto Rocket isn't just one of the greatest of all time instantly. And you go, well, how do you build a show off of that? What are you doing week after week? And man, do they surprise you? Do they surprise you with not only the the fun cast of characters that they present in this uh, this fictional California setting, but also the stories that they choose to tell with these characters? There were certainly stories that I felt were, uh, you know, ha I was going to school around the time that these characters were, it was around the same age, and it did feel like, at least in terms of some of the stories they presented were of things that I dealt with, or at least knew of other people dealing with. You know, I didn't have the, the skills of, of many of the other uh, characters on Rocket Power. I was uh, pretty much trying to catch up with Sam on most extreme sports. I could ride a skateboard better than that kid. But uh, then at some point in one of the later seasons, he gets a, a skateboard that just changes the game. Then all of a sudden, the the squid was was better than me at skateboarding. What's going on over here? Uh, I, I have a lot of love for Rocket Power. It came out at the perfect time for me. I was the perfect demographic for this show. I was a young kid who was obviously into skateboarding, watching Nickelodeon. Well, here's here's everything you could possibly want. And, and then you're you're left finding something more from this show than what you initially expect. The way it's presented is that you're it's just X Games the cartoon, and there's more to be found here. So if you've never experienced Rocket Power, I I implore you, definitely, you know, go down the rabbit hole. It is certainly worth watching. And other than the first episode to recommend for you, um, I recommend season three, the episode Enter the Hawk Tricks. It is one of the most goofiest episodes of Rocket Power, but like goofy in a good way. If the uh, if the title there doesn't make it obvious, it's it's the Tony Hawk episode. Um, it's it's super goofy in how they get these kids to to meet Tony Hawk, but it, I love it. It's so ridiculous, but it to me perfectly captures the the feeling of the time because my favorite Tony Hawk skateboarding game is Underground Two, which by far up to that point, is the most unrealistic Tony Hawk game and went above and beyond in how goofy it was. So then having an episode like this, that it's just a match made in heaven. It's just perfect. So if you've never even watched that episode, go go out of your way and check out um, um, Enter the Hawk Tricks, Season 3 of Rocket Power. Ten years ago, on July 28th, 2012, we had the premiere of a Nickelodeon TV movie a little-known franchise uh, by the name of Fred. We had Fred 3, Camp Fred premiere on Nickelodeon. Written by Drew Hancock and directed by Jonathan Judge, this, of course, is the third and final film in the Fred trilogy. I, I never would have thought it would have made three. It seemed like it was just going to be this one-and-done deal. There was, there was an announcement at some point that Fred was making a movie, and then out of nowhere... It was going to be airing on Nickelodeon. They had something, you know, to do with it. I don't know if they just picked it up for the distribution. Uh, but then the movie did well enough to warrant Nickelodeon to go back and say, hey, can you guys make a second one? And we had Fred 2, Night at the Living Fred. Then, of course, they just had to go back for a third one. Uh, now, the first movie was originally optioned off as a theatrical release 
which it would, of course, not end up doing in the United States. But in the United Kingdom and Ireland, the film was actually released theatrically on December 17th, 2010. Uh, due to the fact of the film's inclusion of Pixie Lott, um, uh, an English singer and songwriter, of course, making her, her acting debut in Fred the Movie. I gotta be real with you. I watched the first Fred. I remember it aired on TV. I don't think I caught the initial airing. It might have been one of the, the later ones. Um, and it wasn't as annoying as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I think, obviously, specifically the voice change of Fred. If you ever saw any of the uh, the Fred YouTube videos, the original ones, he pitched his voice up to sound more like uh, a kid. And for the movies, they decided to... I don't know if they tweaked his voice in post just ever so slightly, uh, but they, they obviously made his voice a little bit more digestible. Um... But there was there was something interesting about it. It made me chuckle here and there, but I'll, I'll be honest. My entire reasoning for watching it in the first place was because of the inclusion of WWE superstar John Cena as Fred's imaginary father. Fred has a mom, uh, played by Shaban Fallen Hogan, who, if, if that name doesn't sound familiar, I mean, she's known for movies like Men in Black, Forrest Gump, and Holes. Uh, I believe she plays the mom in in Holes, so if you're a fan of that movie, she plays the character of Tiffany Yelnats. But, um, but yeah, she plays Fred's mom, who's just very, you know, not hands-on when it comes to parenting. So Fred, for as sad as this is, imagines his father being John Cena, which, you know, it's funny because I always tell people, even though I, I have my dad... My parents divorced when I was about four or five years old. I always still had contact with my dad and saw him throughout my childhood. So it's not like he wasn't there. But I always joke to people when I say that one of the best lessons I ever learned was from my uh, my TV dad, Stone Cold Steve Austin, which was from a meme I saw at some point that said, I was raised by a single mother and Stone Cold Steve Austin via television. And I was like, oh, you know what? I resonate with that. Um, but the piece of advice I learned from my TV dad was DTA, don't trust anybody. Short, sweet, and to the point. And, uh, and that always resonated with me. So it was funny seeing the, uh, the introduction of John Cena as Fred's imaginary dad here because it's like, well, of course that's his imaginary dad. He watches wrestling and who else wouldn't want John Cena as their father? The man has hustle, loyalty, and respect. Anyway, fast forward, I, I needed to build that base up to even give you uh, an idea as to why I would have watched Fred 3 over many other projects and movies I've talked about over the years as to have not have watched, but then here I am saying I have seen Fred 3. My interest has basically been because of John Cena, and he has not disappointed in any of his scenes in any of these movies um specifically his whole involvement in Fred 2 where during a dream sequence he actually has Fred come out into a WWE event that they're having and uh and I, you know what that that just was an enjoyable part of watching those movies and I always admired uh, even before the movies Lucas Cruikshank's uh effort and the work that he had done with that character I mean he made up something on YouTube and eventually made three Nickelodeon TV movies about it and a TV series. So uh, good for him. As far as like recommendations are concerned, it's really hard to recommend Fred just in general. Um, I think if you have uh, a younger kid who might be interested in, in just very slight fart humor on Nickelodeon, then they're harmless. They're they're fine movies. If you're a wrestling fan, I can say check out the John Cena scenes at some point, you know, either on YouTube or if any of these movies are available through streaming, those scenes are worth watching. If you're a Fred fan, hey, watch them. But if you're not a Fred fan, not a wrestling fan, not really a fan of uh, of anything I've said thus far, a little bit harder to recommend them, but, you know, they're harmless. They they really are. They're They're inconsequential. Nothing, nothing to really get too upset about. Nine years ago, on July 23rd, 2013, 
we had the final episode of Big Time Rush. Created by Scott Fellows, the show ran for four seasons of 74 episodes. And uh, Big Time Rush actually making a comeback. I think they, they released at least a new song in the last year or so and, and had made a, a return to the stage at some point, or at least there was a, a talk of it. What's crazy is I remember seeing Big Time Rush randomly at uh, Six Flags New England. Let me look this up. Um, and what blew my mind is the the opening act to Big Time Rush was an act I hadn't heard of, or I, I did hear of them at some point before I saw this uh, this concert, maybe like once or twice. So then they came on before Big Time Rush, and it was like, all right, yeah, that's, that's a cool act. Within six or seven months, they were like the biggest act in the entire world. And uh, all right, found the information. May 22nd, 2011, at the uh, River's Edge Picnic Grove, Six Flags, New England, New Boys, Jesse J., Cody Simpson, LMFAO, and Big Time Rush. I was there at that concert. Crazy experience. My cousin's young kids were massive Big Time Rush fans, and I hadn't watched the show at this point. I knew of it. Um, knew it was on Nickelodeon. Knew they were popular. Um, and they had invited me. Hey, come to Six Flags. We're going to go see this concert. And I, I said, sure, why not? And just to have seen uh, LMFAO play before Big Time Rush and then five months later to, to, you know, have them on literally every radio station in the country and just to think back even years later of how much more popular they would get going, wow, I can't believe I watched them open up for uh, Big Time Rush. That's crazy. Uh, I like Big Time Rush because of at least one episode. Um, being a SpongeBob fan, of course, they have an episode that includes uh, Tom Kenny as not just himself, but as Patchy the Pirate. Uh, in full, legitimate character, which means that in some regard, Big Time Rush is canon to the surface world of SpongeBob SquarePants. You could probably build a decent Nickelodeon world to see how many of these shows are actually happening on the same planet. SpongeBob and Big Time Rush being one of them. And that's uh, that's pretty cool. We'll have to we'll have to dive down that rabbit hole one of these days. But yeah, if you're a Big Time Rush fan, do you recommend diving into the show? Uh do you have a favorite song of theirs as a band that you like even if you're not a fan of the show since we're talking about them? I I would I would like to gauge some of the actual Big Time Rush fans to see what you like, what you don't like. Uh, if, if you have anything to say, definitely find the uh, YouTube version of this uh, episode and let me know in the comments below. Eight years ago, on July 26th, 2014, Henry Danger premiered on Nickelodeon. Baked right out of the Schneider Bakery and created by Dana Olson, the show ran for five seasons of 121 episodes, one of Nickelodeon's biggest live-action shows, and uh, it's impressive that you would think in this world of, of the MCU and the DCEU, all of these extra TV shows on the CW, you would think everybody would just have had enough of superheroes. And then on comes along Henry Danger and the Thundermans to show that not only are people not sick of superheroes, but that Nickelodeon could successfully run simultaneous superhero sitcoms that would eventually cross over. But... Absolutely incredible. Henry Danger, one of the biggest in Nickelodeon history, still ongoing in some regard uh, through various spinoffs. They tried a cartoon version with the adventures of Kid Danger for one year in 2018. And as of this recording, the spinoff Danger Force is still currently moving forward in its second season and has 51 episodes under its belt. And even recently, Paramount striking a deal with Jace Norman, the star of Henry Danger, who had moved on, and even his character had moved on out of the universe, only appearing, I think, in one or two episodes of Danger Force, but struck a deal with Paramount to bring an exclusive Henry Danger film to Paramount+. Plus. I believe that among another project here or there. There is still a ton of investment into the Henry Danger world, and here we are almost 10 years later, 
after it initially premiered and and it's just as big as when it first started you would think you know the simple concept of a of a young kid basically the idea of of we're following the suburban story of of a robin you know where his parents don't have to perish getting recruited by the batman of this town and going on to fight the cavalcade of kooky criminals that come out of the underbelly of Swellview. Uh, you, you would think, like, oh, this is just going to be something run-of-the-mill, and it's going to be cookie-cutter, and it just defies what you would expect in certain ways. It, of course, is a paint-by-numbers sitcom in a lot of other ways, but it is being baked right out of that Schneider's Bakery, which have been producing sitcoms for for almost three decades up to this point. Um, so they've had their experience with sitcoms. They know what different elements to throw in there to, to make it feel unique and to give it that extra edge. Henry Danger, no different than the others. But what I've liked about the series thus far is the unique way that they've continued the story with Danger Force. Um, I wish they would have done something different with the cartoon because that's an interesting idea that they should have kept in their belt knowing for as popular as these characters are, you can eventually cement them in animated form and then be able to use the characters of Captain Man, Kid Danger for, for decades. But while Henry Danger is still in the air, they decided to double dip on, a, on an animated show, an animated version that just featured animation that just is not aesthetically pleasing in movement and design. Sorry, I... Apologies to anybody who worked on that, but uh, I really wish that if, if two things, they're going to make a cartoon version of Henry Danger, they should have A, waited until the show was completely done before they dived down that rabbit hole, and B, they could have had an opportunity of, hey, we're making another animated superhero show. I think what would have been cool, especially in the world of Henry Danger, is if the design of that show was more in line with both the the early 90s X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons drawn in that way, that kind of style. I think that aesthetic on top of the Henry Danger world would have really popped. I would have enjoyed that. And there's still time to do something like that. But uh, I was teaching at the time that this was on uh, around the fifth grade level. So there were, of course, a lot of Henry Danger fans uh, that I was surrounded by. So even if I didn't watch the show in full, I was shown a ton of clips. I know a few of the villains. Um, one of my favorite villains, of course, one of the the first villains they run into, the toddler, played by Ben Giroux, one of one of my favorite like character actors in Nickelodeon of the last ten years, has done such a fantastic job from you know Henry Danger to Bunsen is a Beast. And currently the voice of Big Nate for Paramount Plus's uh, Nickelodeon show there. So uh, if you've never watched an episode of Henry Danger, I can't really recommend a specific one. I, I have not really watched an episode in full. But if you find an episode that has Ben Giroux's The Toddler on it, I can tell you that's a good time. Those those clips always make me chuckle. So I can only imagine that the full episodes are at least worth watching. And there's one clip in particular that always made me chuckle, and it's one where all the villains get together in a little therapy support group over over the fact that they always are getting uh, getting their butts handed to them by Captain Man. And it is very much, you know, like the therapy group in Wreck-It Ralph with all of the with all of the bad guys, but uh it 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 works so well here with all of these goofy looking, you know, super villains, quote unquote, all all in just sad, depressive states in a way over just how much they're losing. I don't know why, like, scenes like that will always just generally be funny to me. So even had seeing it in Henry Danger, I can say whatever episode that's from, check that one out too, wherever the villains get together in their little therapy group. Uh, but yeah, if you're a fan of Henry Danger, let me know what your favorite villain is. If you have a favorite episode, are you excited for any of the future projects coming out from Paramount Plus concerning uh, uh, Jace Norman? Let me know in the comments below. Seven years ago, on July 30th, 2015, we had the final episode of Every Which Way. Created by Mariello Romero and Katharina Ledebuer, the show ran for four seasons of 82 episodes. Six years ago, on July 29th, 2016, we had the final episode 
of Sanjay and Craig. Created by Jim Dershberger, Jay Howell, and Andreas Trolf, the show ran for three seasons of 60 episodes. I have seen a decent amount of Sanjay and Craig. It was the last Nicktoon that was live on the air during a time that I actually had a live feed of Nickelodeon available. This was before I moved, and once I moved, I didn't get cable in my new home. I only had the internet at that point because, well, most of what I was doing was surrounding the internet, and I wasn't really watching cable as much, and it only kind of broke down to, you know, a handful of channels I was only paying attention to, so then the justification for paying all of that money for for five channels didn't seem worth it, so I didn't have Nickelodeon for years on, on LiveSense. And to be honest with you, I, I had already kind of aged out of watching live Nickelodeon, you know, watching new premieres. I would kind of just catch word of mouth type, you know, things after the fact. And if, if something was worth watching, I would check it out. But before that, when I did have the live feed, I usually would have Nickelodeon or Nicktoons if I was painting or doing anything on the computer, either on the background or just, just to have some sort of noise going on. And Sanjay and Craig, you know, being a newer show, was on a decent amount of time, and I fell in love with some of the humor of the show, some of the characters. Uh, I loved the idea of, of Tough Lips, this uh, Remington Tough Lips, this um, washed-up action movie star who Sanjay and Craig absolutely adore, and he's essentially like the Fonz of their town. And I always loved the idea of the Fonz from watching Happy Days on Nick at Night. I have a poster of the Fonz in my uh, office here. If you ever catch any of the videos or live streams coming out in the next few uh, few months, you'll you'll see the Fonz on display. But yeah, the idea of Tough Lips and even just the, the neighbor, Mr. Nudeman, Sanjay's best friend, Hector, just having an eye patch very much reminded me of, of Bazooka Joe. It just was like a random thing to have. I loved Sanjay and Craig, and I was honestly disappointed to find out years after the fact that the overall consensus on this show was more on the on the mid to negative end, and I was weirded out by that. I felt like this show had a, a decent amount of Nickelodeon energy, the kind of energy that if it was on any other channel, it would it would feel like it was on the gas too hard, but then when it's on Nickelodeon, it, it feels like it's hitting it just right. But then I I heard specifically that a negative aspect of this show was its reliance on fart jokes. And I I don't understand that. Maybe this is just me showing my age, but uh, you know, fart jokes have always had a home on Nickelodeon. Um uh, maybe you've grown up, but a well-placed fart is always hilarious. You expected there to be a fart noise. But when it comes to Captain Eric, expect the unexpected. Um, now, I, I I like this show. I don't have any specific episodes on the top of my head. I haven't watched it since it was on. But I will tell you, I go a lot based off of my feelings. And when I think back and I go, I, I enjoyed a lot of aspects of the show. I was a big fan of Chris Hardwick, uh, not only for his time on G4, of course, one of the biggest podcasters during the rise of podcasting. With the Nerdist podcast, he was the voice of Craig in this show, and and he did a wonderful job. I thought Sanjay and Craig, as as a duo, was one of the best that Nickelodeon had had since its heyday. So, in my book, it's a great Nicktoon. To me, it returned some of that Rocco's Modern Life energy that we only ever get with a show here or there, Ren and Stimpy. You don't want a show like that coming out every single year. You oversaturate the market. But I, I really enjoy Sandra and Craig. I stand by it. And if you haven't watched it in a while, definitely check it out. It's it's worth jumping back into. Five years ago, on July 24th, 2017, Welcome to the Wayne premiered on Nickelodeon. Created by Billy Lopez, the show ran for two seasons of 30 episodes. And also, a few days later, five years ago on July 26th, 2017, we had the final episode of The Fairly Odd Parents. The show, created by Butch Hartman, ran for 10 seasons of 172 episodes. And even though it got its start all the way back on March 30th, 2001, the adventures of Timmy, Cosmo, and Wanda have been ongoing since 
their original debut as a part of Oh Yeah Cartoons on September 4th, 1998. They almost went 20 years on the air. And uh, to think of just where it ended up is is a bit upsetting. Um, but we will we will eventually get there because it bleeds right into Captain Eric's top 10 of the week. Probably one of the first weeks that this isn't a big old positive top 10 because unfortunately when it comes to the Fairly Odd Parents, you can't really end the conversation on a positive note. There's There's something we're going to have to get through here. But what is undeniable is that no matter how the show may have ended, The Fairly Odd Parents is bar none one of the biggest and most popular Nicktoons in the history of Nickelodeon. Cosmo and Wanda are two of the most recognizable cartoon characters in history to the point, ladies and gentlemen, that you don't even need to see Cosmo and Wanda to recognize Cosmo and Wanda because of this show. Anywhere in the world, if you see two objects right next to each other that are identical, but one is green and one is pink, inevitably, you are going to get a massive chunk of the population seeing those two and immediately thinking of both Cosmo and Wanda, thinking of the Fairly Odd Parents. That's how ingrained they are in our culture. I hope Butch knows that due to his creation, these two colors could never just innocently be placed next to one another without being connected to to his characters. It's just that ingrained in our culture now. Those kind of jokes will still be made 50 years when when someone has two garbage cans of those color. Hey, Cosmo and Wanda, you're not too slick there. We can see you. It's a nice little wholesome meme, and I, I love it. It makes me want to just go and paint two objects outside of my house, one green and one pink. Just just It's one of those things at this point, if you know, you know. If it brings a smile to your face, then that's a the smile worth having. But the Fairly Odd Parents, as I've said, have been going on since the late 90s. And that era of the Fairly Odd Parents is rarely ever brought up or talked about. I always have to to prepare myself anytime I bring up Cosmo and Wanda in a conversation of 90s Nicktoons because then people lose their minds. Well, they premiered in 2001. And it's like, no, they the Fairly Odd Parents, like, ostensibly season zero the the episodes that would be the basis of the series all came out during the first three seasons of Oh Yeah Cartoons, the last of which aired the same day before the first season aired. So, you know, the Fairly Odd Parents have been synonymous with the 90s Nicktoons as far as I'm concerned. They were the mascots of Oh Yeah Cartoons, if not them, Rudy, Tabooty, and Snap. I digress. The Fairly Odd Parents, when it came out, was an instant success. It was the de facto number two Nicktoon for years, right behind SpongeBob SquarePants. And what was even more shocking was that it was so popular, yet it had almost no foothold in terms of merchandising. There were certainly Fairly Odd Parents merchandise, and there were certain efforts made to merchandise the Fairly Odd Parents on the same level of SpongeBob, but they never achieved that. There was never a level of success in terms of merchandise with the Fairly Odd Parents, that that was on the level of SpongeBob, except for maybe I would say the amount of goldfish uh, goldfish tanks sold. At this point, maybe SpongeBob hasn't beat, but at the time, I would have to say probably the Fairly Odd Parents. But they had almost no merchandise in stores yet, year after year after year. In some cases, were beating SpongeBob in ratings. The Fairly Odd Parents was an undeniable success. And Nickelodeon capitalized it in certain ways with, of course, some of the greatest TV movies of all time with the Jimmy Timmy Power Hours, the crossovers with Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius celebrating his uh, 20th anniversary from from last week. But uh, then in other ways, they just didn't capitalize it. There were plans for Paramount Pictures to release a Fairly Odd Parents theatrical movie and at some point was being worked on and then just forgotten about. Even out of Butch's own mouth, the amount of times that the Fairly Odd Parents were canceled and then uncanceled is just unbelievable. When you just think about how popular that show was, and I think even after the third season, they had canceled the show and uncanceled it. And then after season four, canceled it and uncanceled it. It was almost like they liked the Fairly Odd Parents on how much it was doing in the ratings and how well it was performing with certain demographics. And then on the other hand, I think they were just bothered by the fact that all these people were watching and then on the merchandise front, there just wasn't millions to make. 
I, I can only guess as to why they would be so hot and cold of this show, but they they were. Nonetheless, they were extremely hot and cold with the Fairly Odd Parents, and even to the point of officially canceling it in 2006, I mean, we, we as the public got wind of this official cancellation, not just with the Fairly Odd Parents, but with Jimmy Neutron as well. Sorry, gone, goodbye, and I remember, like, thinking, wow, this is a mistake. Both of these shows are on their A-game. Why are we canceling things now? There's You don't have new shows to replace these two with. But, as things would happen, you know the history at this point, the decision would once again be reversed in due time with the return of Fairly Odd Baby, a new special that would not only introduce a new character, but not just any character, the offspring of Cosmo and Wanda. A extremely exciting idea that, of course, did extremely well in the viewership for Nickelodeon. I'm sure they were happy with that. And from that special, we ended up getting an entirely new season of The Fairly Odd Parents, but now with Baby Poof involved. Kind of how they did it with Rugrats. Once Baby Dill was involved, the show returned with just Baby Dill. And for as people who think that Baby Dill ruined Rugrats, I'm going to give the same argument to Baby Poof here. Even though that character may then become the center of certain episodes, I don't think that Poof nor Dill really ruined their respective shows. They were just added to. An addition that you can ignore for some episodes and just have Poof kind of there with Cosmo and Wanda, and then in others, just be a part of the plot. It's it's not really a disastrous addition, in my opinion. And even after the wild success of Fairly Odd Baby and the three seasons they got out of the new character of Baby Poof, once Nickelodeon decided, well, it's time to refresh things again, let's add a new character, Season 9 introduced us to Sparky, Timmy's magical pet who, once again, people will point to as someone who who may have tanked the series. But in reality, we were just given another inconsequential side character who could have, you know, plot basis once in a while, and in other, most terms, just be comedic effect. That's all Sparky was. He was there for a joke. Wonderful voice actor, by the way, but was just there for a joke. Then comes Season 10. Season 10, the big old 10th season of The Fairly Odd Parents. Hey, it's that time again. It's time to change things up. Add in a new character. And instead of adding another magical character to the group and following that same formula, Butch and team decided that it was time to just change up the entire formula on its head. They did the new Coke version of The Fairly Odd Parents. A new character was introduced by the name of Chloe Carmichael, a character who was certainly in need of fairy godparents of her own, but instead of just giving her her own fairy godparents and seeing the stories that could happen when there are two kids in the same classroom, both with magical fairies, I know Remy existed, but it's not like Remy Buxaplenty was a regular member of the uh, of the classroom, he was only brought in when needed. So instead of having a story where there's two magical kids and now maybe Crocker is paying attention to another kid and their fairies, Timmy's getting jealous, there's some stories you could tell. So instead of that, they come up with the convoluted story that there is a fairy shortage in the world and that Timmy must share Cosmo and Wanda with Chloe. Which, for all intent and purposes, legitimately changes up the formula of the show It doesn't just add in a character that we could ignore because it's not just a character that we can ignore because even the theme song for the show was changed to reflect this overall change of the show. Chloe is not just here to use Cosmo and Wanda once in a while. She is now a main character constantly battling with Timmy on the use of Cosmo and Wanda, of course dealing with her own issues in her own life, but now we have to you know, follow those along with Timmy, it does not work in this way. And I'm not saying it could for a story, you know, the story of Timmy having to share his fairies, but to just change up the whole show, like, boom, this is the new base we're building off of. I don't like it. I don't like it. It doesn't work because you you can't have a, a story. It's like this. 
There's one thing of adding a new Bat member to the family, a new Robin, Nightwing. Hey, welcome to the Batcave. Welcome to the family. Help us fight crime. You can add as many members to that cave as you want. But the second Batman has to share being Batman with somebody else and Bruce Wayne then can't just put on the cowl and go out at night because somebody else had did it because he has to share it. Now you're changing up the base of the story. That's not cool. It's not fun. And I understand the idea of wanting to keep things fresh and interesting. But if you noticed my suggestion from the beginning, and I'm not saying it's the most perfect suggestion, but there was a way of not only getting this new character involved, but also building exciting stories off of that without ruining the very basis of the show that was Butch's initial idea. Like, even adding in Poof, even adding in Sparky, it doesn't ruin the Timmy, Cosmo, and Wanda relationship. It can certainly get in the way of it. That is that is plot. Poof can certainly, you know, stop Timmy from enjoying his godparents to their fullest extent. There's certainly that. Not saying that that doesn't exist, and that hasn't happened, but there's a difference between Timmy watching his his godparents do something very natural, which is take care of their child, and then a plot device being, a wrench literally being thrown into the machine for the sake of something different happening. Like, that's that's the feeling of it. Like, of course, if you throw a wrench into all the gears, something different's going to happen. It doesn't mean it's a good different. But before we continually go down this path, because my top 10 does have to deal with this, I want to say that regardless on its final season, regardless on any of the changes that have happened in the Fairly Odd Parents over its its run on television, even with its current live-action adaptation on Paramount+, Plus, you can't possibly erase just how good The Fairly Odd Parents was in its heyday, the TV movies it produced, the music from Guy Moon, the stories of Timmy Cosmo and Wanda fighting with the Crimson Chin, the crossovers with Jimmy Neutron. Those are moments in time you'll never be able to, to erase from your memory. The first time you watched Channel Chasers... And, and every single time they would go to a different channel and switch animation styles and you'd get to see the parody of, of the Rugrats and Charlie Brown and, and Blue's Clues and, and you're just losing your mind, that'll always be there. And then talking about those kind of episodes and helping new generations discover them, that's always going to be the fun of it too. You know, I fully expect, whether or not I'm making podcasts or not, 30 years from now, I'm going to still tell kids how awesome Channel Chasers was, Abracatastrophe, the Jimmy Timmy Power Hours. I will always, I'll go to the grave with how awesome those uh, those crossovers were and just being there in that moment in time and, and enjoying it. That's That's what's nice about it. So it's those moments we can't ever really erase. Even if, you know, as time goes on, things change. What doesn't change is the experiences you've had. So I, I always like to, to maintain that aspect that even when I, I'm upset and disappointed with how things ended up with the Fairly Odd Parents, that does not even touch my love and admiration for the show, for the characters, the moments in time as a fan, it, it made me feel, it made me enjoy watching the show from my favorite episodes to my least favorite episodes. I, I, I love it. So when I talk negatively about these things or I'm critical, just know that it, it rarely ever touches my admiration for uh, for the overall series. But as far as my top 10 for this week, I did mention it was a bit more of a, of a, a negative top 10, but I wanted to go over what I believe are the top five worst changes to the Fairly Odd Parents uh, over the course of its of its run. So it's not necessarily going to just be this character being added, this character being added, although there is that there, but I'm going to give you a little bit more reasoning for, for each one. For number five on my list, I have Sparky the Magical Dog, and honestly, it's not even his introduction that bothers me the most. It's more or less the, the pure ignoring of the character after season nine. Like, they make a big deal about his introduction... Timmy getting a magical dog. The dog 
pretty much just becomes background noise to a certain extent throughout the season, and then is just gone. That, to me, like, wasting that slot of a new character and then not even capitalizing on it in any way, changing it up to make that character work, that, to me, is a is a negative change, if anything. I would have liked if they would have kept Sparky around and and found his his true place within the show, but uh, but we didn't get that opportunity, unfortunately. Number four, and this might be shocking to some, thinking, oh, I know what number one is. You you don't know what number one is. Let me tell you, number four is Chloe Carmichael. Um, and one thing I want to just make clear when it comes to my my dislike of the character of Chloe, it actually has nothing to do with the character herself has nothing to do with the gender, the race, the character's background, simply her placement in the show, where she fits, how she got there, and and just how that took the train of the Fairly Odd Parents and completely took it off of the rails. You could swap out Chloe Carmichael with literally any other character in your head of a kid that joins the school and then also has to share Cosmo and Wanda with Timmy. They're going to be here in this number four slot. So if you're a fan of Chloe, I'm sorry. It's not her as a character. So when I say I dislike her, it's just where she belongs in the plot. That is that is literally it. It just completely puts a, a wrench in a machine that didn't need the wrench. Number three, as far as the worst change to come to the Fairly Odd Parents, it is the downplay of Timmy Turner's friends. When the show first started, we of course were introduced to his best friends, Chester McBadbat and AJ, one of the smartest kids uh, in the world. But throughout the show, we were then eventually reintroduced to Tootie, Vicky's kid sister, Elmer, a nerdyish looking type kid with a massive boil on his front cheek, and then of course rounding out the group is Sanjay. Timmy had this nice group of friends that, you know, all of a sudden once Poof and Sparky and Chloe were introduced, there was just less of an emphasis on Timmy hanging out with his friends, having these characters. The spotlight was moved on from them and moved elsewhere in the show, and I I just never really liked that. I always liked that he had other friends in the world other than Cosmo and Wanda, and even other than uh, AJ and Chester. I mean, it was great that Timmy has two best friends, and, and you should always appreciate what you have around you, but to see his friend group grow and especially hanging out with a kid like Elmer who might not necessarily have the easiest time in making friends because of a giant boil on his face, I I thought it was a good look for Timmy. And then all of a sudden, his friends just didn't show up as much. I I didn't like that. Uh, Number two, in terms of worst changes to the Fairly Odd Parents, uh, the theme song for the last season for a moment, can we just acknowledge the cliche of the amount of animated series that have ended up changing their uh, their look and theme song for their final season, and then it ends up being the final season? Like, they don't know going into it that it's the final season, but it happened to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Both the original 80s had a final season that took things in a different direction in terms of design and had a different theme song. Oh, no one wants to watch this anymore. The 2003 Turtles, ironically, had that happen twice before they got the boot. Um, And I think they even tweaked the Ninja Turtles theme song by the 2012 one. But for that final season, they presented it in a different way anyway. Uh, But here we have the Fairly Odd Parents, who although have updated their intro to HD for some of the later seasons, had not really changed the music of it. And instead of trying to just, okay, come up with a new theme, we get this mix match of the original theme song with an overabundance of information to let you know that Timmy has to share his fairies with Chloe. And it just, it works as exposition, I get that. But as a intro theme, it doesn't work, and it's not good. It's There's not a person on the planet that, I would believe if they told me that they found the second version more enjoyable to listen to than the original version, the one we've had from the beginning. 
even with all of these extra changes to the show. One of the best banger theme songs in television history. Uh, other than the idea that they need to to put in the exposition for Chloe, I uh, I just I shake my head anytime I hear it. Number one though is probably my biggest pet peeve of of this whole final season of the Fairly Odd Parents, and that is the change of animation. For the life of me, I cannot watch any of the animation from that final season of the Fairly Odd Parents. At some point, they switch over. Uh, to to flash, I I'm still I'm still shocked by this. You know, here's here's something. On the offset, the Fairly Odd Parents has a very simple looking design to it. But when it's in motion, and especially the use of that design throughout those initial first few seasons when they're building on it, there's a really gorgeous effect that happens in that world with those characters and the movements that they make. I love it. I love the design of the Fairly Odd Parents, but when that is adopted into Adobe Flash and the movements of the characters are so blocky, no no matter how much effort you put in, you can always tell like when it's flash animation. And and what really ruins it from the hand-drawn style with the Fairly Odd Parents is when everything is now just going to stay strictly on model. I know it's an easier process for animation and probably cheaper as well, but Man, what an ugly change to make for the for the end of this series and, you know, bums me out, but I'm not I'm not too concerned that we won't have more fairly odd parents content down the road. I feel like one day we'll get a proper animated, you know, new fairly odd parents film on Paramount Plus. Uh, the fact that we've returned to Beavis and Butthead and gotten that animation to look as good as it did in the early 90s or Making it look good while still emulating that uh that not so good style of Beavis and Butthead. If we're able to do that, then I'm sure we'll be able to find a way to replicate the classic look of the Fairly Odd Parents in a cheap new style down the road. But that is going to be this week for this week in Nickelodeon history. You can reach me, Captain Eric, at nickelodeonhistory at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or if you have any top fives you want me to cover on the show. Anything at all, you can send me an email there. You can also find me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast and on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. Speaking of I'm Ready, please check out my other podcast, I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast, dropping every Wednesday on every conceivable podcasting platform. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel in the link in the description below. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything that comes in through my projects go directly back into my projects, and it's always appreciated. As always, ladies and gentlemen, please stay safe out there, be kind to one another, and come aboard again next week to This Week in Nickelodeon History.